And there we go. We are back again for another fantastic conversation on Friday Night Counter-Attack. And this week, we've got so much to talk through. We've got such a great show lined up for everyone today. We are going to be talking about the new £100 million man, Enzo Fernandez. We're going to be talking to you about the £2 million man, uh, Carol Mitoma as well. We've got to talk about the new managers in charge in some of the Premier League teams. Sean Dyke, for example, Nathan Jones, Salem's back. So he's going to be talking about Unai Emery and his impact in the Premier League that is made for Aston Villa as well. We are going to be talking about our fiver side of the Premier League season so far debate as well. So again, one player per team and it's going to be a draft. So I'm looking forward to doing that later on when Lewis joins us for the podcast as well. So I'll, I'll introduce Lewis when he joins. And obviously we're talking all things Premier League today, what the Premier League title is looking like, what the top four is looking like, what relegation is looking like. And I think Salem for once, Aston Villa aren't in the relegation chat for a, for a, for a good number of months now, which is really good. Ever since Gerald's left, Unai Emery's been doing good for you. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's been quite different for me as a Villa fan. I'm, I don't think I've been on the pod for a while, about a couple of weeks out. But, you know, Unai, since he's come in, he's done miracles, basically. Um, I feel like we were unlucky against Everton, uh, not Everton, uh, Leicester the other day. You know, he, he coached the victory for us. It was just four individual errors that caused it. I remember going one nil up thinking, you know, another Villa win coming in. But, you know, he's brought so much to us. He's coached us properly in such a short space of time. You know, we can win playing badly now as well. We can win by dominating games. You know, we saw what we did against Spurs and United as well. But yeah, I'm really excited to see where this, where the project goes next. Um, in a way, it's something I've also mentioned that the January window stuff, instead of panic buying, you know, we waited for, we're waiting for the right players and we'll get them in the summer, similar to how we did with Kamara and Carlos, mm-hmm. instead of getting any PM last season. So, so yeah, for me, like, you know, hopefully get, it'd be nice to finish in a European spot, but even if not, I'm not too fussed because I'm sure we'll get you know, towards that Europa League or Champions League spot next season. I can't lie. I was joking with you earlier this season thinking you wouldn't get anywhere near the European spot. But honestly, you're one point behind Liverpool at the moment in 11th. Liverpool attempt, which we'll get onto later because I find that hilarious how the rest of the country are just like, oh yeah, it's fine. But it's Liverpool. It's meant to be the best team in the world, apparently. And they're just like in 10th and you're one place behind them, which is crazy. I wanted to ask you as well, how well has Unai Emery done for you this season so far? Because you did say the game against Spurs, the game against Man United as well. But from what we see in the British media, and I think you'll probably agree from your Aston Villa point of view as well, Stalin. Doesn't it just get brushed over that? It looks as, oh, it's a bad Spurs performance. Oh, it's a bad Man United performance. Or not a really good Aston Villa performance. Or what a tactical masterclass by Unai Emery. Does that kind of get um, faded away from you lot as Villa fans? Or do you appreciate what Emery's doing for you so far? Yeah, I mean, I, I see that quite often, actually. Like, even on Sky Sports, the highlights will always say Villa stun or Villa shock, but it, it's, it's never that Villa outplayed because, you know, these teams have outplayed them. Mm. Um, the only game I'd say that we were badly and we won was probably Leeds and Wolves, we were quite bad and, you know, we got a point. So it just shows that resilience that we've got now that even if we don't, like, fully turn up, we can still pull something out of the bag. But, yeah, you know, the Spurs game, the United game, you know, we've completely outplayed these teams. You know, we've played them you know, off the park at, at times, like that first half against United, we completely blew them away. And the second half, you know, we, we just defended, you know, re- resiliently, even against Brighton, the team, a lot of teams have struggled against. Away from home, we went there, you know, we went we went 1-0 down, we turned it around 2-1 and then, you know, we, we had a back six, back seven and we just defended. And, you know, before, if ever, if, you know, my whole life being a Villa fan, defending just doesn't work for us. You know, we always concede late, we, help, we always get deeper and deeper, you know, and next thing you're defending, you're, you know, the six-yard box, uh, your penalty spot, that kind of thing. And then the goal just comes. But now it's a bit different, whereby, 
we look a lot stronger. The the, the, the unit's a lot more compact. And, you know, the shape, you know, the, the low block that he's got in place does work when we do implement it. But, you know... But that's what I love about Emery. Sorry to interrupt. That's what I love about Emery. He's actually come in straight away and has actually done that for you as well. And I know that we joked about Uno Emery coming in and there could have been Poch coming in as well. I think you're probably quite happy with Unai Emery kind of solidifying that defence and making Tyron Mings look like a half-decent centre-back and you're still without Diego Carlos as well. So it's going to show that you've actually done quite well with this new manager and this manager's done quite well with you and with the players that you've got. Yeah, 100%. You know, we've been playing out from the back as well. Albeit there were some errors the other day, but, you know, mm. we played out from the back so well that team can't do it and we've done it. You have to remember, we've only signed, you know, one real player that he's wanted being Alex Moreno. I know... John Durant as well, and he looks like a great Britain for the future. But you know, let let the summer come, and you know, hopefully, we can get some of, some more of these players in. Hopefully, Sanson comes back as well. I'm still free, my guy my Morgan pocket. Sanson. What's he doing in France now, Salim? How is he? Are you checking up? Yeah, on him? yeah, I've been I've been on loan watches. Uh, <laughs> Ari from Raheem to call it, but yeah, you know, they they I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm hoping he sort of just gets the game time he needs and comes back and hopefully can stake a claim. I do know, I've got a feeling that, you know, this summer's going to be a big one. I feel like there'll be, you know, 150 mil, 200 mil spend. Transfer record will definitely get broken. That's what I'm feeling, you know, you can, you can clip this if you want, but that, that's more of a prediction thing. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm really excited. But yeah, like like you said, actually, uh, don't want to go on about it, but at the time I proper wanted Pochettino. That, that was the one man that I really, really wanted, or Thomas Tuchel. And, you know, Emery was more of a third choice for me, like, or I'm not too sure. I was even after that. Amarim, the sporting sporting manager, isn't he? Yeah. Ruben, Ruben Amarim, Ruben's yeah. And, but then in the end, we got Unai Emery. And, you know, at the time, I wasn't fully convinced. I was sort of, you know, I was there. I was like, you know, it's a good appointment. But I wasn't like 100% fully convinced. But, you know, after just reading about him, you know, the sort of obsession he's got and the detail he goes into, you know, it's, it's something that if I was a football manager, I'd, I'd be like that. You know what I mean? But I think I would be at least. Yeah, it's good fun as well. And I just wanted to ask you about Aston Villa's next game against Manchester City. So um, before we introduce our next special guest coming on the podcast, you're going to Manchester against Salem. So you're going to watch Manchester City's Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City versus Aston Villa. Do you expect a result against this Man City side, Salem? And do you think Unai Emery can actually get a result from this uh, Man City side who look like they're out of form, but they've just had a couple of bad games, in my opinion. They'll get back into it in no time as well. Because you've literally won three of your last five games, losing recently, of course, to Leicester as well. So you are in a good bit of uh, form recently as well. So it's good to see with Aston Villa. But what do you expect from this game on Sunday? Yeah, the thing with Man City is like when they lose a game, then they tend to beat the next team that they play against like eight or nine nil. So that's um, a problem that we've got. But you know, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Another away day, so can't complain. And you know, the thing with the, the, the thing with Unai Emery is like we can go into any game and we've we've genuinely got a chance of winning. Like I remember a clip from Gerard, you could find it. Um, it was an interview with BBC, I think it was, and um, Sky Sports, mm. and it was before the game against Chelsea. And you know, he said in there like you know, this Chelsea team should come and just like wipe the floor with us. And, you know, it was a game at Villa Park and I've never ever seen a manager come out and say something like that. It was... That's why he's a dead manager. Yeah, you know, you're saying like, oh, Chelsea should just come here and wipe the floor with us. But but that's not the... Like, you know, that's not the case. Like, you've seen what, what we can do to teams. And, you know, under Emery, I feel like if we can sit strong and, you know, not concede early, I think that's the key one, just to not concede early and stay in the game and then, you know, I'm sure we can cause some problems, you know, with people like Ollie Watkins, Leon Bailey and especially Buendia. Yeah, you'd love Buendia, but I've been very impressed with uh, Leon Bailey this season as well. He's finally come into it. 
um, which is good fun as well, which I'm really looking forward to seeing how Aston Villa do against Man City. And hopefully it's not another 3-2 like last season at the Etihad, that final game, which was crazy as well. I'm really upset because, honestly speaking as well, when you're, when you're looking at Manchester City and you're looking at how bad everything's going for them, it's going to take years for their actual results to be kind of, how, how is it? It's been, until you get a final verdict with this Manchester City side, um, it's going to take years for it to actually happen, which is quite worrying uh, as well. But we'll get on to that later on as well. So uh, let me introduce my next special guest for the podcast today. Um, he has a podcast called, I think it's called The Cookie Podcast, but it's referred to as The Goat Podcast. So I'm not sure if I should introduce you as The Goat Lewis or just The Cookie Man. What are we doing, Lewis? What are we going for? <laughs> Uh, I'm feeling humbled today. We'll go for the, just the cookie man today. The we'll cookie man that. today. That's all good. Uh, Lewis, yeah. everyone is a Chelsea fan, so we will be talking about Enzo Fernandez, like I promised earlier, and we are going to be talking about Chelsea Football Club as well. How are you doing today, Lewis? You good? Yeah, I'm good, guys. How are you? We are very good. Thanks. We are going to be talking at the moment mostly about well, let's actually no. Let's go straight into it. Let's talk about Sean Dyche. Let's talk about Nathan Jones because we have been talking about Unai Emery as well. So let's talk about those two, and let's talk about Jesse Marsh as well. So, Lewis, I know you are a you're not a, you're not a fan of Leeds, but you are a uh, you were quite happy with some of their players at the beginning of the season when we last spoke on the podcast about how he brought in the Brendan Aronson as well and Tyler Adams and. So far, it hasn't worked out well for them. Brendan Alisson staying on the bench for a good 90 minutes against Nottingham Forest wasn't the one, um, unfortunately, for them. Jesse Marsh being relieved of his duties before two games back-to-back against Manchester United. What's your thoughts on Leeds United getting rid of Jesse Marsh, Lewis? Yeah, I think they had to do it, to be honest with you. They they were going backwards and it it feels like the same time as last season when they was under Bielsa and it wasn't really going their way and it, it was just a bit of a mess, really. And I, I like Jesse March as a coach. And I think that this will only doing good in his career and experience in the Premier League. Loads of players and managers alike fail in the Premier League and go on to really good things. And I think he'll do that because he is a good coach. And I think that he, he can get good jobs off the back of this, especially in Europe and maybe again in the Premier League one day. But yeah, only good things from Jesse March. And I think Leeds... As a squad, uh, they they may be down tools for him, just like they did Bielsa. Mm. And I th- and I think that mm. the next person that comes in has got a massive job because who's going to score the goals for Leeds? It was worrying when Patrick Bamford was complaining about the style of play um, against Nottingham Forest after the game as well, which is quite worrying to see. I mean, with Leeds United, their form was quite poor as well. Three draws in their last five games, two defeats as well literally lingering just above the relegation zone as well. So it's quite worrying to see that I don't know who the next manager is going to be, but I'm still really happy that Jesse Marsh had his time in the sun against Liverpool winning away in the last minute. That was iconic for me. Uh, probably one of his better games. And I agree with you, to be fair, Lewis. I think having that experience in the Premier League for such a young coach, if we don't, uh, if we don't forget as well, he could potentially be the next USA manager as well. Going into the 2026 World Cup, he could be leading that young American side into the tournament as well, especially with all the issues they had in the Qatar World Cup as well. I think that'd be a good shout. Salim, what are you thinking about Leeds? Do you reckon they have enough to stay up or do you reckon Sean Dyche's Everton are going to survive um, this season? What are we thinking so far um, at this time in February, I would say? See, obviously being in Leeds, uh, well, working in Leeds and living near Leeds, um, I do meet like a lot of Leeds fans and you know, we've had like a lot of banter over the years, you know, Villa Leeds, this kind of stuff, as you can imagine. But yeah, I mean, the general consensus from my mates that are Leeds fans is that they're happy that, you know, Marsh has gone. I feel as if he is a bit unlucky. I feel like, I'm sure he beat Chelsea, was it 
two or something loose. I can't remember. Um, early on in the season, that they three had a really good, good game. Oh, was it three nil? I don't know. Why three nil at home. But... Yeah, they beat us. Unfortunately, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was it? No, I, I just remember off. watching that game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. I just remember watching that game, thinking that oh, you know, Leeds could actually do something this season, but. No, it's, it's like you said, I feel like they might have down tools, but they have made some good signings like that. Nonto, I think it's pronounced, he's quite good. I um, can't remember who the other one is, but, you know, they've made some decent signings. But for me, the, the gaps left by Phillips and Rafinha are quite big. And obviously Bamford not um, sort of like not, you know, playing as much, you know, injury and that kind of thing has cost them. But again, it comes back to that thing whereby like, They've obviously not replaced Phillips and Rafinha well enough, but it's not just that. It's about replacing them and then signing more players because every other team is improving. I they have like signed quite a lot of players, to be fair, though. It's just they haven't signed them in the better positions. Like, Weston McKennie's come in. Um, the yeah, quality's there for Weston McKennie, but it's a different type of player to uh, Calvin Phillips, in my opinion, from what I've seen from Weston McKennie anyway. But, um, no, no, I, I, I rate, I rate McKennie. Yeah. But for me, again, like they've probably seen what they've done with like bringing Sean Dyche in and how strong that's made Everton. And obviously now Leeds have missed out on one there because, you know, he's somebody that could not guarantee survival but give you the best possible chance. So, Every yeah, you know, Premier League club is looking at that as well. They're looking at if they need to keep their managers in. Even probably like Wolves and after they got their new manager in as well, going up the table, they've been slowly doing their business as well, looking to escape relegation. Brendan Rodgers has survived so far as well with Leicester. And I'm looking at Leeds and I'm thinking, what kind of manager could they actually go for? Could they go for a Pochettino? Could they go for... Um, another championship manager like Southampton have done with Nathan Jones, who hasn't really worked out so far. What do you think, Lewis? Yeah, I th- I think that the, the Nathan Jones thing's laughable. <laughs> he, he's been coming out with some funny quotes of of late, anyway. But I feel like with, with Leeds, I agree they have made some good signings. But the thing that they have lacked in selling Phillips is his impact in the dressing room. He's a Leeds lad through and through. There was games last season where he wasn't even fit enough to make the bench and Marsh put him on the bench just for his impact in the changing room. And I think mm. that that this season has hit him like a ton of bricks. And the next manager, the current bookies favourite is Corban, the West Brom manager, but he's yeah. only been there a number of months. So I, assistant, I don't really know much about him. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I, I really don't know, to be honest with you. I don't really know a lot about him. I just know that he's done quite a good job with West Brom in quite a short space of time by all accounts. Yeah, he was Bielsa's assistant when they were uh, managing together at Leeds. So when Bielsa left, um, he went on to get his own manager a job at West Brom. And that's why West Brom are doing quite well at the moment um, as well. Uh, don't really want West Brom in the Premier League. Another yo-yo team. They're not that enjoyable to watch as well. So I'd rather stay away from West Brom doing quite well. I enjoy watching teams like Brighton and Brentford doing quite well at the moment. And Fulham, to be fair as well. But realistically speaking, I think Leeds United are going to go down this season. I think it's time when you're thinking about how Sean Dyche's impact has come in straight away for Everton. I've been very impressed with how he's kind of gone about with his, more, I, I don't normally say this, but more of his media duties more than anything, going about back to basics in terms of this is what we have to do to try and impact the club. This is how we have to kind of go about our business. And he spoke on the coach's voice a couple months ago, whenever he was on the coach's voice, when he was off, off of his job, talking about protect, uh, protecting the V in the, in the penalty area. So from post to post to both the corners of the boxes as well. And that's what Everton did really, really well against Arsenal and actually got Arsenal's first defeat in the Premier League since September, which is crazy to see. Came in with, what, three or four games 
um, for three or four days, I should say, sorry, for Sean Dyche. Uh, and he impacted that team as well. And what impacted what impact he had the most on Everton, in my opinion, is the ground that he got the players to cover. Decore covering 12.1 uh, kilometres. Dwight McNeil, 12.5 kilometres as well. Onana, 11.7 kilometres as well. Um, crazy to see, literally crazy to see um, Alexander Iwobi, 11.4 kilometres as well. I know Sean Dyche didn't get relegated last season with uh, with Burnley because he got sacked before then as well. But is he the right man to take Everton forward, not just past this season, but uh, for the next couple of seasons? Salim, what do you think? I'm not too sure. You know, that's the thing. Like, he's somebody that will get them survival, but it's probably better than they've had, you know, the last couple of appointments since Ancelotti. And even before that, you know, they're a team that have spent money so badly. So I feel like there could be some balance in there for Everton. Um, you know, again, like you say, you said he came in and he beat Arsenal first game, you know, hardest game to have. Worst team in the league, probably on form when you're playing against the best team in the league, you know, this this season, probably this year as well. Mm. Um, as in like from last year onwards and, you know, they've come in and I have no idea how he's done it, but they did create quite a few chances. There might be some complacency there, but from Arsenal, but that new manager bounced for Everton. But no, it's going to be good to see what, um, you know, how far Dyche can take them. I mean, like, imagine he gets them like top 10 and then next season Everton are thinking they don't want somebody that can take them further. That that could happen and then they could fire him and try go for, you know, like somebody a bit more, you know, forward thinking, attacking manager. But, you know, I, if I was Everton, I'd, I'd stick with him and back him and let him bring in some of his own players. Because I wanted to ask you, Lewis, as well, being a Chelsea fan and having different managers all the time as well, season in, season out. Does it actually help having consistent managers in all the time and a consistent style of identity? Because that's what I think Everton have lacked recently as well, that style of identity on the pitch in terms of what they used to have under David Moyes and Roberto Martinez, respectively. Do you think it would be be uh, better for them to actually keep Sean Dyche to actually find a two, three-year project for them to actually be stable without burning money and wasting money in their new projects, especially with their new stadium coming up as well and all of their money going towards that new stadium project as well? What do you think, Lewis? Yeah, I think that they don't really have a choice but to stick with Dyche, regardless if they go down to the championship or stay up or even get 10th. They're handcuffed, really, by FFP. And Mm. if you want someone who is fantastic on a budget, who better than Sean Dyche? Look at what he's done with Burnley. He got Burnley into Europe Mm. within two or three years of getting them promoted from the championship. Two seasons, crazy. Hardly any money. Mm. Yeah, he got Stephen DeFore and Maxwell Corne for about 10 million combined, who were two fantastic signings. And I've got no doubt he'll do that for Everton. Again, whether they go down to the Championship, get 10, stay up this season, I think they'll definitely stay up this season. I think he's a fantastic manager. He'll show tactically how flexible he actually is when he's got players, because realistically, he's never had players this good in his whole managerial career. So I'm all for Daesh. I'm really looking forward to see what he'll do with them. I, I just want to speak about his style of play as well because a lot of people have called it outdated but when it actually works consistently year in, year out I don't see how it's outdated it's just a different style of play not everyone's going to be playing the same attractive Pep Guardiola type football in this day and age as well despite people wanting them to I think Sean Dyche has got many, many positive uh, feelings towards Everton Football Club it's just Everton will have to buy into him because they bought into Frank Lampard last season and he got them uh, to survive, which is great for Frank Lampard. Um, but for Everton, they expect more, I would say, this season as well. And literally between 11th and 17th or 18th for Everton, are, I think they're 18th, um, there's only a 10-point difference as well. So I get why Salomon's talking about finishing 10th because with what, 
14, 15 games left of the season to go. They've got a lot to play for Everton. I reckon Sean Dyke can actually get there, get them on a nice little run, an unbeaten run as well coming up. It could happen. If they can beat Arsenal, they can beat Everton. Everton can beat anyone, uh, which is crazy. Liverpool right. next. Liverpool next on Monday. That's going to be a fun game. So a fun couple uh, games coming up. Man City versus Aston Villa. Man United versus Leeds, mm. which I'm going tomorrow as well. Merseyside derby on Monday, which is great. Uh, best time for us to segue into our main topic of conversation today. Who makes your five-a-side for the Premier League this season? And yeah, I need to do this because we, we always talk about five-a-sides, don't we, Sam? We always tend to do this, but we haven't done one for the Premier League this season. So I thought, why not better to do it midway through the season? Get someone who also has a very good Premier League podcast on as well. Looking at you there, Lewis. So we are going to be talking about our best five-a-sides, not six-a-sides, Salem, five-a-sides. And obviously the few rules is you can't pick the same player as someone else. And um, yeah, it can only be one player per club as well. So you can't be going through Man United, Man United, Man United. I'm talking to myself there, obviously, because I'd be picking all Man United players. Um, Let's start with our wild card. So we're not going to go back to front straight away. So if you had to pick one player straight off the bat, Salim, you go first. I'll, I'll be generous to you, Salim. Who are you going first for your best player of the Premier League season in your five side? I don't even think I want to be first anymore on that one. But yeah, it, it needs it, to be there's done. only one man. Oh, there's a few actually. I'd probably go Haaland though, I'll just take it. Staying safe with Erling Haaland. Staying safe. Be... I know, it's, you just put me on the spot and I'm thinking about all the players and how they play. But no, no, Haaland's, Haaland's mine. Haaland's in your five side. Lewis, go ahead. Who's your wild card for this pick? Who are you going for? My wild card is none other than Thiago Silva. Absolutely. I think that the man is ridiculous. He's about to sign a new contract with Chelsea. So I'm so happy about that. And it's mad because he's still Chelsea's best defender, which is crazy. So Thiago Silva, 100%. Talk to me about Thiago Silva, because for someone who doesn't watch Chelsea as much this season, me personally, because I personally find them quite annoying when they're quite crap. I'll be honest with you, when they're crap, they're quite boring to watch. So I'm not going <laughs> to act like I, like I like watching Chelsea. But what has Thiago Silva brought this season kind of with their mid-table levels, with their Champions League levels as well, getting knocked out in both the Cups as well, Luce? What has he kind of brought to the table? Because from what I've seen from the outside and from the few games, is he's brought that stability, that leadership and that uh, inspiration to, to your defence and to your team. But what else has he kind of brought or has he brought more than what I've just said, Luce? No, all of the above 100% since he came in. He came in under Frank Lampard. He, he brought him to the club, which is mental to think and what was a one-year contract has now turned into a three-year contract incredible absolutely incredible and he's won a champions league with chelsea he's won a super cup he's won a world club cup in that time the man is a winner and i think if we keep him around there's potential next season to kick on and potentially win something huge next season with him and i would love that and i think like you said all the above of what he brings to the table and like I said earlier, he is our best defender. There is no doubt about that. And even when Antonio Rudiger was at the club, Silva was still our best defender. The funny, thing, the funny thing I like about Thiago Silva is uh, Thomas Tuchel used to play in the back three as well to actually accommodate the lack of pace and mobility he assumed of Thiago Silva. But it's not the case even in this Graham Potter side. I know you're not playing your best of football and you are quite open defensively, but Nine times out of ten, it isn't Thiago Silva's fault. It's rather your fullback's fault or your holding midfielder's fault because you're missing N'Golo Kante in that midfield as well. So I do have to say, I've been very impressed with Thiago Silva, who I think personally, for a free transfer to Chelsea, may be one of your top five signings of, of all time, in my opinion. 
because I think it's yeah, fantastic. one of the most shrewd. Yeah, well, definitely one of the most shrewd. And the fact that when PSG found out that he'd already agreed to sign for us for free in mm. only verbally, yeah, they offered him a contract for the exact same wages, having lowballed him, and then he said, "No, I've already gave my word to Chelsea, which I will always respect." And Bad again, Thiago, so I think he'll be a coach at Chelsea when he hangs up his boots, if he ever hangs up his boots. <laughs> The thing is, the thing is with Thiago Silva as well, and I don't know if you would probably agree. You probably both would agree. The the twenty six shirt, it's gone to Koulibaly. I think he should have yeah. gone to Thiago Silva, uh, in my opinion. That would have been a better passing of the guard, I would say, from John Terry to Thiago Silva. World class defender to world class defender. It yeah. should have been good fun. Uh, he's the new yeah. vice captain. Anyway, should... since Jorginho's left, he's the new vice captain. He should just be the main captain. Get rid of Azpilicueta. I know he's a club captain, but Thiago Silva's the guy right now at Chelsea and I'm looking forward to seeing what Chelsea are going to do for the rest of the season with all the money they've spent. FFP, got, got to watch Chelsea. I need to, I need to see What's that. that? What's what? that? What? FFP? FFP doesn't exist because Manchester Explain City get away. FFP get away with, uh, let everyone get away with murder. It's crazy. That's all I'm saying with that. Um, my wild card has to be the one and only Marcus Rashford because he's just the guy right now at the moment since the World Cup. Gareth Southgate, you have been sour after you're having your questions uh, about Marcus Rashford. He just rejected it. He was like, oh yeah, if I played Rashford, then the media would have complained about me not playing this player or this player. But Marcus Rashford has proved, I think it's Harland Rashford, they are the two that scored the most goals since the World Cup, which is unbelievable with how consistent Marcus Rashford has been. We are 13 games unbeaten at home, which is fantastic to really see as well. His goal against Arsenal, winning goal of the month, winning play of the month in the Premier League as well. Is this the best you've ever seen Marcus Rashford, lads? What are you thinking, Salim? What do you think? Is this the best season you've ever seen Marcus Rashford play? I think that for me, like the main thing about Rashford is like, I knew he had the, this kind of thing in his locker, but it was just a consistency part that he's never had. So like mm. the form he's showing right now, I've seen him do it glimpses or like one game or two games, but I've never seen him do it this consistently. So there was always a player there. It was just about finding his position or finding, you know, a comfortable manager and a system for him. And I feel like we found that now. And, um, you know, there wasn't long ago when you guys beat PSG in the Champions League. I think it was in the social when he came in and won all those games and people were comparing him to Mbappe. I yes. mean, like, you know, some people, like Arif said that he was better than Mbappe, but... People still compare him to Mbappe, which I don't get. That's just different levels for you me. Know, like, he's, reached, he's reached a good level now and, you know, he's finally, you know, proving that he's the main man. Because a lot of people, you know, a lot of United fans that I know turned on him as well, saying that, you know, he's not the man and he's not good enough for United. But They called him Trashford. Marcus Trashford, yeah, so, they called him. Some people, yeah, have been, I've mentioned that name actually, but <laughs> no, it's, it's good to see him do well. And, you know, it'd be nice for him to hit 20 goals or something this season in the Prem, maybe more. Um, he's not going to get more than Haaland is, but it'd be nice for him to get, you know, 20 goals and a couple of assists here and there as well. Definitely. And Lewis, from your point of view as well, how do you think Marcus Rashford can benefit from this Eric Ten Hag style of play that he's been playing? Have you been watching Marcus Rashford a lot this season? Have you noticed the change from last season to this season? What do you think, Lewis? I've noticed the change mentally with Marcus Rashford, hence his celebration with the old finger to the head. And um, I think that his bounce back from the penalty miss in the Euros as well as Bukayo Saka's has been non-short of legendary. I think that they're both at the top of the game and they've both never been playing better. And I hope that Jaden Sancho can find his groove again because I, I love them all as footballers. And again, the abuse they got, I feel like some people genuinely don't deserve this England team that we have at the minute. And 
I think that the lads all really deserve to bounce back and two or three have. So I hope that Sancho does. And although he, he does play for the scum as well as Rashford, as well mm. as Saka, but I, I do love them all when they do play for England. And like I said, all but Sancho at the minute are playing. They've never been playing better. So good luck to them. Hopefully Sancho starts tomorrow versus Leeds. I'm going to the game tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to seeing... Because Ansi's out, so we're going to have to have a new right midfielder. So it could be Jaden Sancho's first start since he's come back, uh, which is great. Right, being fair, we're going back to front. So we're going goalkeeper, defender, midfielder, attacker um, in that way. Lewis, start us off with your goalkeeper and your defender. So I'll give you both two each. We'll go two each to go us through, get us through it. Okay, so I will go in goal... I'll go for David Raya for Brentford. Good shout. I think I think he's an underrated goalkeeper. I think he faces a lot of shots. And I think Brentford would be well, they do well to hold on to him. I know Chelsea in the summer in the market for a goalkeeper. He's seen as quite a cheap option with AC Milan's Mike Menon. So we'll see. And for my defender, I'm going to go for Sven Botman. I think that he's been fantastic for Newcastle. I really liked him when he played for Lille. He played against Chelsea a couple of times and whenever I've watched him on BT playing for Lille as well as Aussie men at the time and Jonathan David, they had a really good team at that point when they won the league. I think he's gone into Newcastle. He's provided stability on the ball. His passing range is a joke for a centre-back. Left-footed centre-back as well. Very hard to come by. And I think that he will take Newcastle to a new level and they're my picks. There's a player I'm most afraid of um, in this Carabao Cup final with Man United seeing Sven Botman play um, for Newcastle United because that back four for Newcastle now I wouldn't be surprised if Salem and I have a, a Newcastle play in our back line as well because I'm really looking forward to seeing how Sven Botman can develop because he also got admitted from that Netherlands side in the World Cup which was crazy to see I thought it would have been much better than having some of the centre-backs they had as well but Nathan Ake is obviously their left-sided centre-back who's obviously a very good player but Sven Botman, man, I think I've been saying this for years and Salim will know and our listeners will know. Ever since probably one of our first ever podcasts that we had, I said he is a guy that's going to take on Europe. He's going to do so well with the style of play that he has. And kind of like you said with left-footed centre-backs, they're kind of on vogue now as well. Everyone wants a left-footed centre-back who can pass out, play from the back as well, which is which is fantastic to really appreciate um, from Sven Botman as well, which is great. And David Rye as well. I know Man United are looking for a new ball-playing goalkeeper as well, so we could be in the market together. Uh, for someone like David Raya as well. Salim, your goalkeeper and your defender, who are you going to go for? So the goalkeeper was really obvious. It's Emi Martinez. Um, bastard. Why Emi Martinez, man? Emi Martinez. You know, he's still, to this day, some of the saves that he makes, you know, he just pulls him out of the bag like that, leads one and stuff. I think he goes under the radar quite a bit, you know, playing for Villa, but, you know, he doesn't because it's all over my social media feed. It's probably from you liking all of that content from, from Aston like- Villa. But honestly, he's you know world class goalkeeper, can play out from the back as well. Great sweeper keeper, so definitely him. You know, but that ruins my chance of getting any other Villa players in. Are you afraid that he's going to leave this summer? Being a world class keeper, being a world cup, he's not going to leave, though, is he? I wouldn't be too sure. I mean, if someone like Chelsea are looking for a new keeper, if Man United are looking for a new keeper, oh, you're looking across Europe we as don't well. Sign him. He's, not, he's not. He's not downgrading. But yeah, we've got any and then. Um, for my defender, again, like you're talking about Newcastle, for me, he has to, he has to be Trippier. Ooh, you know, that, shout. that whole back line for Newcastle's fan bottom, what a shout. You know, that was something we were linked with and it didn't happen. But, you know, shout out to Mings as well. He's turned it around considerably since Gerrard's left. But yeah, Emmy and Trippier for me. 
was with, with Trippy as well. I think he's a fantastic player, and you stole my pick. To be fair, so I was going to pick uh, Kieran Trippy on my thing because on a five a side pitch, you would have just been whipping balls, and and you've got Harlan and Trippier in your team, Salem. So it was doing quite well. Um, goalkeeper for me, I'm going to go Newcastle. Nick Pope. I think four is it fourteen clean sheets now um, this season. I think it was twelve in a row or something like that before you conceded a goal. Unbelievable from Nick Pope, and this is what a player from even being a Sean Dykes player once upon a time as well at Burnley, getting used to defending with a back four like he has as well. He's improved his game so much under Eddie Howe um, and Newcastle United are such an, are in debt to this defence because defence actually wins you titles and leagues. And that's why Newcastle have been so consistent in this top four race, which is unbelievable so far to say out loud. Only a year after actually getting um, their ownership changed, which is crazy to uh, imagine. My defender for this season, I don't, I don't want to risk it because if I pick this player, I know I can't pick this attacking player, but I know one of you will have this attacking player. So for my de- my defender, I'm going to have to go for... Oh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't bring myself to say it. I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. But I'm going to say it. John Stones is my Man City player because I'm risking it on a different team for my attackers. So yeah, John Stones is my guy. I, I think for me personally, I don't want to say he's underrated or under the radar because his Manchester City has been in the team quite a lot as well. But before that little injury he had as well, I thought even from September, uh, October time as well, before the World Cup, he was in bright form. He was fantastic for Manchester City. And when you're looking at how they're playing now with their fake centre-backs and their fake full-backs as well, Rico Lewis playing as a second defence midfield, you've got a Kanji and you've got Ake. They are missing John Stones like mad. So if I need to put a Manchester City player in there, I could have gone for a, a midfielder or a winger from Man City. But I think John Stones is just a tidy option for me personally. I think he's been fantastic. And for me personally, probably the top one of the top three England players at the World Cup as well. I've always fantastic this season from John Stones. And he definitely deserves a lot more praise than he gets. Lewis Dunk, he gets a shout out as well. And I think Tim Ream from Fulham also yeah. gets a shout out as well. Because for them to be in the top half doing consistently well, you have to mention some of these teams doing fantastic um, in, in themselves. Did you hear what Pep said about Tim Bream? Saying, if you were 26 and not 36, you'd be playing for me. Oh my God. That's so rude about his age. It's just ages Pep Guardiola is. It's crazy. Because he, he said that he said something like that Quality. to Nathan Redmond as well. He's like, uh, back in the day against Southampton. So I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. If you were playing for me right now, you'd be running past these wingers left, right and centre, but you're not. He's like fully complaining yeah. to him after the final whistle, after Southampton's like, this is what you should be doing as a player, uh, which is crazy. So, yeah. oh, right. Which, so. which which order am I going to go in? Salem, you go first with your midfielder. Then, Lewis, you do your midfielder and then I'll do my midfielder because we'll, we'll talk about these off for a longer time than our defenders. So, Salem, who have you got in midfield? You can't pick Emi Buendia anymore. So, you pick your Villa player. So, that's that. You know what? I had a choice of two here, which both have impressed me. Actually, there's three that have impressed me this season, all three of them being Arsenal players, um, being Saka, Odegaard and Martinelli, but Damn I had it. to go for Odegaard. Thank so, God. Uh, one of you probably has Saka in, but you know, all three of them have impressed me and you know, this Arsenal title race, I've really enjoyed watching them play this season. But you know, Odegaard, a player that you know, he, he broke onto the scene quite young, 16, playing for his country. And you know, at the time, I, I thought you know, it must be quite decent and then got that move to Real Madrid and it kind of sort of fizzled fizzled away kind of thing. Like you didn't really see anything. A couple of loan back. moves here and, then, and there. 
Yeah, he was at Sociedad, I think, and then Vitesse you know, as well. Came to Arsenal. Yeah, he came to Arsenal on loan as well, and like it wasn't, it wasn't really pulling the trees down, as you'd like to say. But now, when you see him, you know he's sort of, you know, one of the best players in the league. You know, he's giving De Bruyne a run for his money there, and you know they made him captain as well. That's massive backing. You know, he's still like such a young player, and he's learning every game. And for me, you know, he's he's going down as he could potentially go down as one of the best like midfielders we've had in the Premier League I think it's that new age and that new era now because we had that era of Coutinho we had that era of Hazard we had that era of David Silva as well Odegaard and, and De Bruyne I'm going to throw Bruno Fernandes in because I am going to be shameless about it as well um, when you're looking at some of these attacking midfielders I think they've been fantastic to watch and Martin Odegaard is no exception um, the comparisons of De Bruyne I think they're a bit too early I think we have to see Arsenal win a couple more things than just the FA Cup that, yeah, a couple I mean, years ago still, still early days but you know early days is good have, days but yeah I was going to say De Bruyne might have zero by the end of the week but I mean, he was on the bench versus um, Spurs as well. He didn't even start, which is worrying to see. So I was just kind of like, I don't know why Pep is benching De Bruyne against a back five uh, Spurs side as well, which is quite worrying at all uh, as well, I should say. Uh, but yeah, Lewis, one one thing on Martin Odegaard as well. Just before, before I continue to your suggestion as well for your midfielder, I beg it's not one of my players. I beg it isn't this Arsenal player that I'm going to pick. With Martin Odegaard yeah, as well. It probably isn't, mate. It probably is, man. Don't don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. Uh, I'm building suspense. That's okay. Uh, So uh, Odegaard, Odegaard, no, I'm a big fan, bro. I'm a big fan. I've I've been lucky enough to watch him live when he was a teenager when he was playing for Heronvane against Ajax. I was lucky to watch that the Johan Cruyff Arena, and he stood out a mile there. And he was only about 18, and it was when he was on the books for Real Madrid, and he's just evolved into this elegant player that's almost Zidane like the way he dribbles with the ball and he he genuinely looks like he's having so much fun playing for Arsenal and they've given the armband this season for a reason and look at what's happened as a result under his captaincy at the top of the league and they're gonna definitely qualify for the Champions League next year which given how Arsenal's been in recent memory that's you take that and take someone's hand off for that as well as an Arsenal fan, the Champions League and being top of the league in February. So I think that he's a great player, really enjoy watching him and it's just a shame he plays for Arsenal really. It really is. It's really bad to see how Odegaard has <laughs> evolved as an Arsenal. Uh, he's going to be a cult hero. He's going to be a legend if he stays and wins a couple more things as well. But it's been fantastic to really watch um, this season as well. But yeah, Lewis, go ahead, break my heart. Who have you got in your midfield um, for your for your team? Nah, I've, I've just completely swerved you, bro. I, I, oh, I like I said, I'm just complete building up suspense. My player is Mitoma from Brighton. Ooh, I think you this talk, boy. You got, you got to talk about Mitoma. This boy. This boy. He cost 4.6 million. He was playing university football, I believe, three and a half, four years ago, and he's just another example of Brighton finding another diamond in the rough, as well as McAllister. Etc. Etc. I'm not going to name all. We'd be here all day, genuinely. Saicedo, Pascal, Gross. We're looking at yeah, some of the amazing mate. midfielders. Look at um, Saicedo potentially leaving for 70 million as well. And she's just they just the Zerbi is just working wonders with this team. It's fantastic to see how yeah. even with, with Graham Potter leaving for nothing. Yeah, just carrying on with it. Sorry, carry on. 
No, I was saying they buy them for absolutely peanuts and sell them for an absolute wedge. Like Cucurella, they bought for around 10 to 15 million and sold them for 60, 13 months later. And I think that they just continue to do it. Prior to that, they did it with Ben White, sold him for 50 million. And again, he's kicked on at Arsenal, but as a right back, we didn't really expect that to happen. But mm. again, Brighton's model. I'll ask you the question, Amza. Is it sustainable, really, for Brighton? And if so, how long for, really, to keep doing this? Or are they going to be a 2016 Pochettino Southampton where they just completely sell everybody? I think it is sustainable, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. First of all, you have to look at another team in the Premier League who have done that previously, Brentford, and they've done so well with how they've continued to reinvest their money. It shows the importance of scouting, and it shows the importance of recruitment as well. And I heard Tim Howard say it recently, I think it was on American TV just after the World Cup, about how it's so important for these smaller Premier League teams, not so much smaller, but the ones that have a less budget in terms of how they have to really value who they're buying. Unlike Chelsea, unlike Man United, we can't, they can't waste their money on some of these 50, 60 million pound players. They have literally 50, 60 million pounds in their budget for the year for both the summer and both for January as well. So to buy someone like Matoma, when you're looking at Brentford, Salem's mentioned it a number of times in terms of buying Ivan Tony, uh, reinvesting their money that they had for Ollie Watkins, if I remember correctly, Salem as well. Or was it Conta that you bought from them? Um, which is crazy. It was Conta, wasn't it, Salem, you bought from them? Brentford. Brentford, yeah, yeah from Brentford. Oh, yeah, Watkins, Conta, Scott Hogan. Yeah, so it goes to show that this sustainable model is sustainable for a reason, and you're seeing it all across Europe. I I say this all the time when I bring up this team up, Benfica, you're looking at RB Salzburg, you're looking at Sporting Lisbon, Porto, you're looking at some of these amazing teams that reinvest money year in, year out. Prime example for you, my friend, Luis, Enzo Fernandez cost Benfica £10 million in the summer. He only stayed there for six months, fam. Six months! And you paid £110 million roughly um, for him as well. Too hot we'll for get... him in Portugal. Too yeah. hot. Too too hot to handle for Enzo Fernandez as well. We'll get on to <laughs> Enzo Fernandez later in the podcast. But it was just ridiculous to see how this model goes. And I'm really happy seeing this in the Premier League as well. You're seeing these young up-and-coming players. Yeah. Matoma, I think it's 25 years old. Uh, five goals this season. He's won eight of the games. Lost four of them as well. He's assisted once, but... Excuse me. Um, he's in the highest percentile of, of, of dribbling as well. So he's higher than Harry Kane. He's higher than Mohamed Salah as well. Um, the fact that he can, he has 5.79 carries as well into the final third. He literally owns that left side of the field where he plays. And Deserby is working wonders with his Brighton side. So to have someone like Matoma in your five-a-side team, Lewis, on, on one of these five-a-side pitches, I think you're breaking someone's ankles. <laughs> That's all I'm saying, man. But did you actually... see that he did his dissertation on the art of dribbling? when he yes. was at uni yeah. like three and a half years ago that's incredible that he put cameras on his oppo- well opposition players so they he could see where they're looking and he realised that the good players were looking at the feet and not the ball mm. so he realised if I fake with my feet then more often than not the good defenders are going to look at my feet the, f- the fact is like because w- when Salem and I would play football we used to play football every Friday night hence the name Friday Night Counter-Attack uh, we play football together and I'd wear a GoPro on my head so I'd be like watching everyone's movements after the games, watching the games, about thinking, oh yeah, I can learn this. And I actually did learn quite a lot from watching other people play. And it got me interested in scouting and video analysis as well, which is like the career that I'm working in at the moment, which is great. So Mitoma knew his way about the camera as well. I need to read his thesis properly as well. He needs to put in the link of this description for this podcast, uh, which is good fun. But Mitoma is just the guy right now. He's hot to handle. That goal against Liverpool in the FA Cup, 90th minute, 90 plus minutes, I should say, fantastic. The goal against Bournemouth as well. 
And I loved it as well because he came off the pitch saying, he didn't say it to an English uh, press, he said it to someone else. He's like, oh, I'm so disappointed with my performance. I can do better. The team can do better. So humble in himself as well. And I really enjoy watching players like Karu Matoma. So a fantastic player and fantastic shout there, Lewis, um, as well. Right, my midfield, I'm going to go literally back to basics. I'm going to pick my Arsenal player. And I'm going to go for Bakayo Saka, who I think is... I think it's too hot to handle as well. I think I think Bukayo Saka with his five assists this season as well and with his leadership on the pitch as well, I really believe that this is Bukayo Saka's season to actually win uh, the Premier League. Generally, I think Arsenal are going to win this if they have it um, within their grasp. And I think it's been fantastic to really watch. Big shout out to Miguel Almiron as well. I would have picked him if I hadn't picked Nick Pope for my goalkeeper. I think he's been amazing, especially from the end of last season to the beginning of this season as well. Um, it's been fantastic to watch, but Realistically speaking, it's probably too early to call, but would you say Bukayo Saka is in the running for young player of the season? I know player of the season may go to Erling Haaland, but do you reckon young player could go to Bukayo Saka? What do you think, Salah? I think he could win both. You know, he's somebody that, again, like when he came through, I was like, oh, I'm not too sure. I don't really see the hype, but you know, this season I've definitely seen how good a player he is and mm. got so much potential. The only thing is, I hope Arsenal can keep hold of him and he doesn't go elsewhere. You know, it'd be nice to see Arsenal build this sort of... I know as much as Lewis probably hates me saying it, but it'd be nice for them to build this sort of star-studded team of youngsters that have come through, trust the process, all or nothing, you know, everything combined. Arteta in forever. That's what Arsenal fans are saying right now. They love the process. They hated it for two and a half years, but they love Mm. it now. They're loving this process, which is fantastic. Lewis, I wanted to ask you, because you did mention quite positive uh, things about Bukayo Saka before as well. Is he the main man at Arsenal right now? Is he literally the guy that's making everything tick? Is he the guy that um, Arsenal, probably even plays in the future when they're looking at Arsenal, they'll be looking at seeing if Saka's going to stay and they want to work with this player. Because when you're looking at someone like Leandro Trossard moving to Arsenal as well, everyone's like, oh yeah, he's not going to start, but he can still play as a winger and he can still play and link within Bukayo Saka's um, way of playing as well, which I think is quite a joyous thing. What do you think, Lewis? I think Bukayo Saka is the embodiment of every young Arsenal fan at the minute and he is the guy that they're looking forward to who he sold the fans to the dream. Mm-hmm. And again, no one loves anything better really than a redemption story. And like we said earlier, Saka's on that and he's took Arsenal to new levels as well as, again, Odegaard. And again, majority of the Arsenal team have lifted the levels by about 100 this season. Someone who was down and out in Granite Xhaka and never mm. thought would play for Arsenal again is, again, a redemption story again. It's fantastic to see from an Arsenal perspective. But I think in terms of players being sold, I think he'll sign a new contract for Arsenal, keeping him there for a long time. And I think that Arsenal fans, if you're scared about an English winger leaving, be afraid of Smith Rowe leaving because I think that Arsenal could definitely sell him. I could see him going to Aston Villa, to be honest with you. I genuinely could. I could see that. Salim would take him in a heartbeat. £45 million for Smith Rowe. I mean, maybe 25 but yeah, I'd take him. It's Arsenal price. I was thinking more of a loan. Loan. Loan, yeah. Take maybe on loan. Can't stay fit. Can't you have to remember, remember Unai Emery gave all these players debuts. Exactly. That's Saka, why I was thinking Martinelli. Villa. Nice little link. Saka, Martinelli... Um, I think who else there is now? Maybe Smith Rowe as well. You know, he's yeah, they're all really nice guys. So, is, it, is it a coincidence on my FIFA career mode where Villa Real, so have Unai Emery as manager, Smith Rowe, Granit Xhaka, and Gabriel Martinelli are playing under Unai Emery? I don't think uh-huh. it's a coincidence. 
FIFA know yeah. what they're doing. They they were linking right. Unai and Smith Rowe together, uh, which is good fun. Hams, it's not who like you know. It's going loose. Who is it? It's not who you know. I'm saying it's all about who you know. It's all, it's all about, about who you know. It's all about who you're in the room with, which is which is crazy <laughs> to see. Right then, everyone's last pick. So I know Salon's picked a striker, but obviously you can pick whoever you want. Lewis, you can pick whoever you want. And I can pick whoever I want. So choice is yours. Lewis, we'll go with you. Who have you got as your final pick? Yeah, so, I mean, this one was this one was quite hard in terms of I really wanted to pick Ivan Tony, but I thought David Raya deserved his flowers. And rightfully so. I, I have gave him his flowers, but this this was genuinely was the hardest one to think when you mentioned the segment, but I think I, really I think would, Ivan Tony yeah. paid you not to pick him. I think his bet. <laughs> I think that's the case with Ivan Tony. He's like, yeah, you can't be picking me. It's an easy bet. But he's listening to Friday Night Counter Attack somewhere, and he listens to the Cookie Podcast on a weekly. And he's like, yeah, Lewis, you can't be book, you can't be play, uh, placing me in here as well. It's crazy to see. Mate, he Tony. constantly follows the bet of the week. He constantly follows the bet of the week on the Cookie Pod. He's scheming with that bet on the week. But, week. Mate, he is. Uh, but again, I'll stop stalling. My my pick is going to be Mitrovic. I thought about it and I thought this man, again, sticking with redemption, he's, is he just a championship striker? We've always said the Prem's too hard for him. He's too good for the championship. Fuller and Murray, a yo-yo team. And him and Fulham this season have just showed that they are not a yo-yo team. Players like Paulinho have been a fantastic signing. Willian has got his second wind in his renaissance at Fulham, which is great to see. You've got Mitro scoring goals. It, it, it just really is good to see at Fulham. And you've got players like Harrison Reed who are just doing all the legwork. Tim Ream, again, 36 years old, is playing fantastic. Andreas and, Pereira, yeah, I have to mention as well. Great to see. Great signing. Absolute bargain that. In hindsight, absolute bargain. Because again, question marks over him when he left Man United. Is he good enough to play in the Premier League? And again, he has showed I am good enough to play in the Prem. Yeah. He had that nickname pre-season Perlo for always doing very well in pre-season against the biggest teams in the world in the USA and Australia, wherever. But when it comes to big games against Everton or against yeah. West Ham, Aston Villa as well, he just folds. He folded. But in the in the, this Fulham side... Uh, Marco Silva's just given him the free reins of an attacking midfielder and he works wonders with Mitrovic with Willian like you said as well Dendonka Reed. Fulham are doing fantastic this season and it's very much down to the players that they have but obviously Alexandra Mitrovic has been a big player and for him to be the number one guy for Serbia at the World Cup as well ahead of Lahovic I thought that was fantastic and um, goes to show that he's actually a very big player for the country as well for Serbia so yeah Nice shout. Good variety of your team there, Lewis. I'm surprised there's no Man United players, but I know you didn't want to put the scum in your team, so I, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, the scum, and I didn't want it to be boring for the listeners where I doubled up on any players, so I tried to be a little bit creative, but also with giving players who don't really get the spotlight, the flowers at the same time. Absolutely. No, I love it. Salim, are you going to do that as well, seeing as you don't have an Aston Villa pick for your final pick? Uh, no, nah, I want to I go with um, someone that hates Villa, actually, and I'll go with James Madison. You know, he's, he's posted good numbers again. Uh, Newcastle mm. signed him. Again, I feel like if he wasn't at Leicester, then they would have probably been like relegated, you know, like really down there at the bottom. Maybe not relegated, but, you know, they'd be quite far back. But yeah, James Madison hates Villa, but he's made my team, ironically, after beating us. So yeah. 
James Madison with eight goals this season, four assists, literally the creative spark for Leicester City this season, was taken to the World Cup as well, didn't get his chance to shine at the World Cup or even play at the World Cup, which I thought was an embarrassment from Gareth Southgate's point of view as well. When you have that talent available, Brendan Rodgers is literally building this team that he has around James Madison, kind of dropping out Jamie Vardy from the starting lineup every now and then to allow James Madison to flourish. And he does. Sometimes he plays on the wing, sometimes he plays as an attacking midfielder. But I've been very impressed with James Madison this season. And I, for one, think this is his last season at Leicester before a big team come calling for him. He should be playing in the Champions League. He should be playing in these bigger uh, competitions as well. And if the ambition is there for James Madison, he will be making that move in the summer. Right then. So who have I got in my team? I've got Rashford, I've got Saka... Um, I've got John Stones and I've got Pope. Am I going to be boring and pick Harry Kane to make an English five aside? Am I going to go Brexit? I don't know. Maybe Dice maybe would I'm, be proud. Dice would be proud of me. Nigel Farage would also be very proud of me. Um, <laughs> but I'm not sure. How am I going to go about this? I'm not going to pick. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I just don't know. I don't know. This is crazy because obviously you've got Haaland, you've got Mitrovic as well. I'm not going for any Liverpool player. I'm not going to go for, you know what? I am going to leave out Harry Kane because otherwise it will be the Brexit team. And I don't want to be that guy going for a Brexit team. Brexit isn't Brexit. We're not doing Brexit at all. I'm going to go for a player who I think just brings a lot more joy to the Premier League with him inside than he does um, actually outside as well. So we are going, we've done Man United, we've done Newcastle, we've done Arsenal. Um, we've done Man City, so we've done the top. So we're going to mid-table, and we are going to going to Brighton. We've gone for Mitoma, so we can't even pick Mitoma as well. But this guy, I think, has just been so consistent with what he's been doing this season. We can't go for a, a wing. Well, I'm going to put Rashford up front. I'm going to put Sack on the right, and I'm going to go for Alexis McAllister. I think I need to put McAllister in there as well. The consistency this guy has had since he's been at... Uh, uh, Brighton and Hove Albion and for him to be a World Cup winner as well I think it's an absolute fantastic player to watch and um, I for one Lewis I did mention to you before the podcast I for one think Graham Potter should be looking to buy this guy for your for your summer uh, purchases as well if you're looking for someone for 40-50 million pounds from the Premier League who can play as a number 8 as a number 6 and sometimes as a number 10 potentially he would be a good player for you to buy I, mean, I know there's rumours of Yuri Tillemans being out of contract at the end of summer but if you are going to talk about someone who can do very well, you're looking at someone like Joe Willock, you're looking at someone like uh, in that kind of ilk of Alexis McAllister. But I think Alexis McAllister goes into my team because we don't like Spurs on this podcast at all. We have a Spurs man who comes on the podcast every now and then, Suki, but Suki's not on today. So Suki, if you're listening back to this, unlucky, we're not picking any Spurs players. None of us have picked Spurs players. And I love that. We've, we've, we've respected the, the culture of this podcast, which I love. But yeah, it's Alexis okay, McAllister. Okay. Sucky, you are going to suck it. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Alexis McAllister. Lewis, we'll go with you first and we'll go with you, Salem, as well. What's he brought to the Premier League and what do you think he can continue to bring to the Premier League as, as, a, as a baller for Brighton this season? Because again, sixth position, five points behind uh, Tottenham in fifth as well. Fantastic season so far for Alexis McAllister and for Brighton. Yeah, I think that this boy, again, he's not even been in England that long. A, another Graham Potter signing another Brighton bargain. I think he's going to cost between around 60 to 80 million. I think Brighton are really going to jack up the price on him and the, the albatross around his neck will be, well, he's a World Cup winner. And mm. Enzo Fernandez has just gone for, if Chelsea get in the top four, it'll be £115 million. So, so I think that 
I don't think it's fair, but I think they will use that for players like McAllister and Caicedo and players that they really want to keep hold of, but they need to get into Europe, hence why they've stayed in January. That's why they really wouldn't let Caicedo go because Brighton have never been in Europe. And if they can get in Europe, they can be like, okay, you've helped us secure European revenue. Now you can go, but you're not going to go cheap because you've got about four and a half years left in your contract. So I just think that ah, Brighton, they're going to ask for a lot of money. I think that he brings a lot of hard work to every team, class on the ball. And I think only playing with better players is going to make him a better player, hence winning the World Cup, playing with Messi, playing with some ballers. And I think he deserves a move. I, I genuinely could see him getting a move potentially to one of the big teams in La Liga, i.e. A, a Barca or a Real as well. I think that all South Americans really see that as the be-all, end-all, and they never really turn it down. And it's really hard to say no when they even look in that direction. So I think he's destined for big things. I really do. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I think it's going to be another one of those times as well when you're looking at De Zerbi, looking at reinvesting his 60, 70-pound income, uh, million-pound income, I should say, into some of these new young players that you're seeing from all across Europe as well, which would be great. And across the world. I love that about Brighton as well. They'll go anywhere in the world to buy a player. They won't... Uh, What's the term? They won't discriminate against certain leagues or think, oh, will they do it in the Premier League? Will they not do it? Like Matoma, people don't know. He was on loan for two years before he actually came back to play for Brighton in the first team. Uh, literally, they bought him from a university team, Brighton did, when Brighton just got into the Premier League or a couple of years after they got into the Premier League. Then he went on loan for two years, I think in the Netherlands, and then he came back to play in the first team uh, on the World Cup year as well, which was great. Salim, what's your thoughts on, on Alexis McAllister? Do you reckon he's the guy that can take Aston Villa from 11th to 6th where, uh, where Brighton are now? Or do you think he's got bigger fish to fry in different clubs? What are you thinking, Salim? I don't think we need him, to be honest. But he's another one of those Graham Potter side. You know, I don't know how Brighton do it. Mm. You know, he's been he's quality in the Premier League and then, you know, he's gone and won a World Cup, just like Lewis said, playing with people like Messi and Emmy and these guys, you know, can only help him. But, um, you know, it comes back to that thing where, you know, they sold Trossard. I know it's a side point, but they sold Trossard. It was one of their better plays this season. And, you know, they won the next game 3-0 or something anyway. So, you know, I don't know how they do it. And, you know, Lewis probably hoping that Chelsea can start pulling off these kind of signings. But, again, I don't know. It comes back to whether, like, Potter's the right fit for them. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I don't know how Brighton do it. You know, another player they've got in this class. I just don't know how they keep doing it, signing players this cheap and then, selling them for these massive sums of money. I think the three of us all know what they do. They all just play football manager. The recruitment team play football manager. They're all doing uh, manager modes in different countries and thinking, this guy's good, this guy's good, this guy's good. And then just compile all the data, give it to their analyst. And then they sign a play in real life. That's definitely how it works, man. I'm I'm sure of it. Definitely sure of it. Um, But yeah, that's everyone's teams. Uh, let's, Let's go through our team. So, Lewis, you start with you. Who have you got in your five aside for the Premier League this season? Do you remember? Ooh. Yeah, I'm just pulling it up on the chat. There we go. There we go. Let me find my call. Okay. okay, so I was trying to start from back to front. Yeah, so yeah. we've got David Ryer in goal, partnered with Sven Botman and Thiago Silva. And then we've got Mitoma, finished off with Mitrovic. Nice variety there. Great team. Salem, who have you got in your five aside? I forgot who you had as your striker. I know you had Haaland as your striker, but who's in your five uh, aside? I've got Emmy in there. Uh, Trippier at the back with Odegaard and Madison and Haaland up top. Nicely done. Then me, 
I still can't believe I'm the one that just has the Man United player. It's probably the Man United fan in me. I, I know it's the Man United fan. Having a Chelsea fan and a Villa fan who hates Man United, it's a combination for uh, anti-Man United. But we're all anti-Spurs tonight, which I love. And we're anti-Liverpool as well. No Liverpool players in this club. I love it. Always, we're not having Liverpool always. at all. Uh, who have we got? So we've got Nick Pope in goal. Manchester City's John Stones. We went for Bukayo Saka. We went for Marcus Rashford. And we went for Alexis McAllister who will play probably behind Marcus Rashford as well, which is good fun. But yes, that is a fantastic team. And I think we're going to go and put this out on our social medias over the week and see who has the best. Um, I think all of Lewis's followers will probably vote for Lewis and Salim may make multiple accounts um, vote for him as well. So it may not be um, all, all fair as well, which is great, great fun indeed. But Lewis, before we wrap up the podcast, I do want to say thank you very much for your time. It's been great to have you on. I do need to hear your thoughts on the purchase of Enzo Fernandez as well. What are we expecting from Enzo Fernandez this season for the rest of the season, I should say? Where do you expect him to play for Chelsea in this Graham Potter system as well? And what can we expect from Chelsea for the rest of the season as well? Well, I, th- I think starting with Enzo, I think you'll see a player of immense quality who isn't phased by a lot. I think that, again, same formula as McAllister, only winning in the World Cup is going to make him a better player in playing with these better players. I think that he'll bring a lot to Chelsea. To answer your question, he'll probably play at the base of the pivot until Kante's fit, and then mm-hmm. he'll play as an eight, either with Kovacic or Mal after that when Kante's back. And then that'll free him up to maybe express himself a little bit more. But I thought he was really good against Fulham, exactly what Chelsea need. Someone who immediately, when they get the ball, lifts his head up and plays forward. Reminds me of Fabregas, I feel like. We've not replaced that since he left. Yeah. And I think that I saw a stat prior to his debut that he has the most switches in the Portuguese league. And I think within about 10 minutes, he did about eight switches. And I was like, okay, this is what we need, especially with the fullbacks that we have that play high up the pitch and are a major attacking outlet for us. If we can get the ball from one side to another that quick, that would be a, a massive weapon for us. And I think that the longer he plays for us, I don't think the price tag phases him either, I'll be honest. I think that he's a player who adds a lot of grit, as a lot of the Argentinians do. But they are also very streetwise as well and will put a foot in when necessary. And I really like him. Just off what I've seen at the World Cup, I'm not going to pretend that I'm one of these people who, oh, I watched him at Benfica against uh, Victoria Gimenez. No, it never happened. I I watched him at Benfica in the Champions League. That's all I can say. I didn't watch him in the Portuguese League as well. Yeah, I, I have literally watched him at the World Cup and then for Chelsea versus Fulham at Stamford Bridge. They're the only games I've watched him. And from what I've seen, I've I've really liked what I've seen. The price tag, again, you're paying for potential and it's on an eight and a half year deal with the option of one more for a nine and a half year deal, which is going to cost Chelsea roughly about, I think it's about 11.2 million a year, which mm-hmm. it ain't all bad, is it? That's the thing. I think that's what a lot of people don't understand now. I think Chelsea have kind of explained it a lot with their purchases, especially with Mudrick and Lorenzo <laughs> Fernandez. You're not buying the player now, you're buying for potential. Yeah. And a lot of players, when you used to buy for potential, they would be around 10, 20, 30 million pounds back in the day, even as of, as of five years ago. But Chelsea have kind of changed that narrative in terms of we are buying for the next five, 10 years because that's what we want in this player and that's what we're expecting from this player and that's what the growth that we're expecting um, for it as well, which is really fantastic to see. What are you expecting from Chelsea for the rest of the season as well? Are you expecting a uh, top four uh, push with the with the team that you've got now, with the quality that you've got now as well? Personally, for me, I'm expecting a top four push. I'm not expecting you to get it, but I think with the difference of 10 points, 
with again 16 games left in the season for Chelsea, anything's doable. I definitely think it's doable for Chelsea. Yeah, me too, mate. I think I think that a push is a, a given with the money spent. I think that as soon as you buy even Mudrick, forget about Enzo. As soon as you buy Mudrick, you're like, okay, Chelsea have to have a solid go at the top four now because they've gone and bought. Well, one of one of the heights of the century, taking him off Arsenal. He was literally twerking so hard for Arsenal, posting pictures of him in the shirt and everything. But oh my days! Well, the Photoshop was crazy on the story. In it, well, I, I guess Arsenal money talks and shit walks. So, um, I, I again, mate, I think I, I, top four is a given. I think that we seriously have with the players we have and the manager we have. It's almost like a clean slate mid-season, which has never been done before. And I think that Chelsea, to finish in the top four, if they are going to do it, will finish fourth. I believe we will. I genuinely believe we will finish fourth with the players we have. And I've seen enough in dribs and drabs. And you've also got to give it a little bit of context. Chelsea have had about 12 players injured for the best part of six to eight weeks. And we've been out without our first choice, centre-backs, left-back, right-back, striker, etc and then you add all these signings on top of it which I, th- I think it's 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 never been done before and we spoke about the contracts if Chelsea pull it off and they've already said that you can't do a seven-year contract after the summer because of what we've done because Todd Bowl has found a loophole in FFP mm. which is mental to think the lawyers were and on overtime I, he definitely called Saul. he called Saul and, he, and Saul found the, the, the loophole there Sorry, I've been I've been binging better calls all, so I know the loopholes that he finds. He's been he's been definitely working for Todd Bowley and Chelsea on retainer. Yeah, I was gonna say the uh, the contracts are very. I've been reading a lot about it on the Athletic. The contracts are very copy and paste from baseball at the minute with Todd Bowley. He's very much involved with the LA Dodgers, and he's got a lot of money invested in them. And he is involved in the business side of it. And if you look at any generic baseball contract for what's considered a world class player. There are these eight to ten year deals worth excess of 185 million to to the player, which is crazy to think. And he's almost came in with the baseball mentality straight away. I've gone, well, we can just do this and spread it over this amount of time and read in between the lines. We can't get in trouble for FFP. Hence, why I believe nothing like what's happening to Man City will happen to us because it is a loophole and they've immediately shut it when we spent the best part of 600 million over two windows. So mm. I think it's loophole exploited and it's a massive thing because Fabrizio Romano said that two clubs, major clubs were willing to pay the release clause for Enzo in the summer. And Chelsea very cleverly have done that right before it. Because again, if a Real Madrid comes in or a Barca or even a Man City, he's going to pick them over Chelsea. So yeah. credit where it's due to, to us, I would say. Let's back it up. The best thing about the Enzo Fernandez deal is that me it meant that you didn't have to go for a loan deal for Marcel's the bits, and you left Marcel's the bits to go from Bayern Munich to Man United. <laughs> so we got a, a loan deal. Um, he's a good player. He's a good he's player. A, I watched him when I was in Milan, uh, Inter Milan versus Bayern Munich, and he just dictated that midfield. Him and Kimmich were just there, just running things, and I thought it was fantastic. And then uh, obviously Goretzka's their first choice like midfielder him. now as well, and uh, Gravenberch is coming through the scene, but. I hope he starts a couple more games, especially with Ericsson and McTominay injured yeah. and Casemiro suspended. It will be good fun to see how um, our Sabitza does at Manchester United. And maybe it turns into a permanent move. He was you good the know. other day. Yeah, good he was cameo. Good the other day when he played. Good, good cameo versus Crystal Palace, which was good um, to see as well. 
But yeah, just to wrap up the podcast, I wanted to say thank you very much for your time and for your uh, contribution to this podcast today, Lewis. It was fantastic to speak and to hear from you again. One last question from me to you. Who do you think will hit the most assists in the Premier League season at the end of the season? And to give you some context, I'll give you the idea of what it's looking like now. So at the moment, we are looking at 11 assists, number one for Kevin De Bruyne. Number two, joint, you've got Ericsson and Saka at seven. Number four, joint, you've got Pereira, Iwobi, Kulisewski, Jesus, Perisic, um, Granit Xhaka, Martin Odegaard, Bernardo Silva as well. So is there someone you think can beat Kevin De Bruyne this season for the top assist with Kevin De Bruyne being rotated in and out of the system uh, for Pep Guardiola? Or do you reckon Kevin De Bruyne has got it from the season? Yeah, sorry listeners, I hate to be to be boring, but I think Kevin De Bruyne is world-class and he's, he's one of the best midfielders we've ever seen in the Premier League and he's playing with the handbrake as well as half of the Man City team on at the minute. So they will go on a run. Mark my words, they will go on a run and they will chase Arsenal down to the wire, points deduction or not. This will only inspire the players going forward, in my opinion. And I think that they still have to play Arsenal twice. I think De Bruyne, it's very rare that he was on the bench like he was the other day. Mm. And when he plays, he'll rack up loads of assists, genuinely. Let's say they play Southampton at home, for example. He'll get about four assists. It's like their next game. <laughs> be on 15. Next game is home against Aston Villa as well. And Salem said at the beginning of the podcast as well, that's literally going to be them going rampant because they've just lost the game. And that's what uh, Pep Guardiola tends to do. He tends to let yeah, leash. Let, he unleashes the beast, basically, against teams when they lose. Bounce like back. Bounce back ability they've got. But that's why I was like, Odegaard with five assists this season, De Bruyne with more than double. I can't, I can't compare them to just yet. I know Odegaard's had a massive effect, but I can't compare them to um, just yet as well, which is great. But yeah, everyone, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Lewis, where can everyone find you in your podcast if they don't know already? Yes. So you can check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search in That's the Way the Cookie Crumbles. If you want to follow us on Insta or Twitter, use the handle cookie podcast one as cookie podcast followed by just the number one and uh yeah that's probably the best way to find us we release pods genuinely generally on on a tuesday but if if you like hamza's stuff then you'll, you'll definitely like our stuff as well it's our stuff isn't as good granted but I, I will admit it's it's nice if you've listened to every single one of hamza's pods and then you're just feeling generous and want to stick one of ours on or if you're like me and you want something to listen to on a long journey, uh, a long journey, and you want to have something lighthearted and fun to listen to, go look at, uh, listen, look and listen at the Cookie Podcast as well. It's really good fun. It's really enjoyable, and it's a nice change of pace as well. Because just like Lewis said as well, it's not a Premier League podcast where they talk about the top six or the best players or the this and the that. They talk about the good variety of it as well, and that's why I plan this podcast to have a good variety of uh, Premier League topics up and down the league. So I appreciate you joining and um, giving the listeners what they want and a taste of your podcast as well, Lewis. So it's good fun as well everyone thank you very much for listening do find us at any time oh this this wi-fi lag has been a hassle today but it's all good it's all it's all very good um but yeah just to close off just to sign off everyone do follow lewis on his social medias which we leave in the description below everyone thank you very much for your time today we will see you next week for another fantastic podcast find us on apple uh music find us on spotify find us wherever you find your podcast take care and good evening and all, oh, and by the way, Salim's phone died. So that's why he cut off mid, mid podcast. But I was like, it's fine. We're, we're ending the podcast. So that's happened. But everyone, Salim hasn't died. He's just, he's still just injured from his, he's got, he's got an injury. So he's injured and his phone's died. So he's, he's, lit- 
is gobsmacked by the Aston Villa predictions that we made earlier in the podcast, which is good fun. But yeah, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Take care and goodbye.